Have you ever dealt with anxiety, anxiety attacks, or other issues like that? I have, and chances are many of you have too. Today, we have my friend Karis Snyder on the podcast with us. Karis is a Christian communicator who shares the hope of God through speaking, writing, coaching, podcasting, and leading worship. She is the author of Anxiety Elephants, a 31-day devotional, and Anxiety Elephants, a 90-day devotional for tween boys and girls. She shares from personal experience of overcoming depression, anxiety, fear, and shame. Karis desires to help women of all generations see their value and worth through the eyes of the Lord to grow in their faith and mental health. Karis offers inspiration to those who feel purposeless to discover their God-given calling that no one else can accomplish. Karis lives with her husband, Brandon, and two daughters in Coleman, Alabama. Friends, this is our type of woman. We love Karis. You're going to love how she navigates this topic with such grace and such truth. And I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Three quick things before we dig in. One, mark your calendars for Friday too, because we are releasing second episodes on Fridays. Yay! An episode on Wednesday and an episode on Friday. So fun. Two, if you are someone who is looking to, or if you're looking for someone to walk alongside you, to partner with you, discipling coach you in deepening your relationship with Jesus, reach out. Let's talk. Send me a message on Instagram or email me. The links are below and let's chat. I would love to be that person for you. And lastly, listen to what Mrs. Kipley posted on Apple iTunes review. I love this podcast so much. Sam's passion is so encouraging. This show is like getting a pep talk from your best friend. Thank you for pointing us to Christ. And thank you so much, Brandy, for posting a review and sharing it with us. Friends, if you want me to read your review out loud on the podcast, head to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave a quick review. I would so appreciate it. All right, friends, grab your cup of coffee or tea, notebook, Bible, and let's dig in. Hey friend, welcome to the Abundant Woman Collective podcast. Do you want to grow in your faith and have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you wake up with big ambitious goals only to be overwhelmed and frustrated when you're way too busy and forgot to prioritize your time with him again? Hey, I'm Sam and I too was someone who craved a deeper relationship but was too busy to make it happen. I felt overwhelmed at trying to fit him in and wished I could be confident in my faith and identity. I wanted to read the Bible and actually understand what I was reading but I kept telling myself that I didn't have the time the know-how, or the discipline or tools to make it happen until I found a little secret to get rid of the Christian checklist. In this podcast, you will find biblical truth, hope-filled conversations with women who are right where you are, and all of the practical tools to implement so that you will be able to deepen your relationship with Jesus. So grab your coffee, Bible, and pen, and let's dig in. of the Abundant Women Collective podcast. Today, we are in for such a treat because I have my new friend, Carrie Snyder, here with you with us, and she is incredible. Carrie, did I tell you I've already done some social stalking, and <laughs> I've done, um, I have your freebie and all the things, and so I'm super excited because this is a topic that I'm super passionate about. I think we could literally change the world with some of these tips that you're going to give and that I don't, I don't know. The world would look different if we could hold on to some of this. And so welcome. Thank you so much for coming and taking the time. Thanks. Do you want to just, we're just going to jump right in. Does that sound good? I think so. I've already enjoyed our, our conversation that we've already kind of had together. So I feel like we were meant to be friends like a long time ago. Like it just was an instant 100%. connection. So I am just excited to be here and just chat with you today. So cool. Thank you. Okay. So we are talking about all about anxiety and depression and later we will get on to biblical coping skills, but first let's dig into your story. Can you share a little bit about how anxiety and depression has affected your life prior to what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So about 11 years ago, anxiety and depression almost took my life. Um, and I hit the bottom of the bottom. I was serving in church. 
my husband and I, we were worship leaders. I was a, a leader, you know, within women's ministry with college students and teenage girls, you know, specifically. Um, I had a, a business that I was running out of my house, very successful. My daughter, who is now, blows my mind, 14. She was two at the time, living her best toddler life. So everything on the outside appeared great. But on the inside, I was being crushed by this heavy weight of anxiety and and depression. And I didn't know what it was. I was afraid to let anybody in. I was afraid to share those struggles. And I, I'll be honest with you and tell you during those, you know, in that adult season of my life, I was one of those church leaders who would tell you that anxiety and depression were not real. Yeah. Uh, my attitude at that point was more of a, um, you were whining or complaining about your life. And if you asked me for advice or encouragement, I would meet you with, with words like, maybe y'all have heard this before, you know, you just need to pray harder. Uh, or you just need to read your Bible more or, Hey, you're not trusting God enough. You just need to trust God more. And if I knew you really well, I would meet you with the words of, you just need to suck it up, buttercup and move on. Now I am pretty certain suck it up, buttercup is not used anywhere in the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible do we see <laughs> that phrase. And so it was not very compassionate, not very Jesus field, but that was kind of my, my attitude. Um, but I began to realize just how real anxiety and depression were. Um, and I would have these feelings on my chest, the way the, it started with anxiety for me and morphed into depression. Um, it would be like this heavy weight. And I, I describe it to people like an elephant sitting on my chest. It would come mm -hmm. out of nowhere. I would be driving down the road. I would be with friends. I would be sitting at church during a worship service. And all of a sudden, here's this heavy weight. My heart would race. I couldn't catch a breath. Um, or maybe at night, my thoughts would just be running through my mind and I could not sleep. I could not shut those thoughts down, those worst case scenarios, you know? Um, and so I just pushed it down. I pushed it down. I pushed it down and pretended like nothing was wrong because I was afraid also maybe something is wrong. You know, I would think it's just a heart attack. I don't want to tell anybody. And so I began to, instead of dealing with the pain, I numbed it. Mm. I numbed the pain. A master of the mask. I numbed my pain through working out and through eating by not eating um, because I wanted to appear one way so people wouldn't really know what was going on on the inside. And um, that anxiety moved into depression for me. I, I always tell people the way I felt anxiety and depression differently. Anxiety made me feel very froggy. It was very jumpy, very on edge, kind of wound tight like a rubber band and I could just explode at any moment. Whereas depression made me feel foggy. Like I was always walking around in a fog where I couldn't see where I was going. It was dense and it was dark and I dreaded the day. I dreaded getting up and moving about. Um, even just, you know, getting up and, and brushing my teeth or fixing my hair was a chore for me when I felt depressed. And and I began to just kind of have this ping pong battle back and forth in my head of, of those same words. You need to read your Bible more. Why are you not trusting God enough? You are a you are letting God down. You're letting your family down. You're a disappointment. And I got into this place where I felt worthless, hopeless, useless, and purposeless. And the bottom of the bottom for me, um, actually, I ended up getting pregnant. Um, and I, at that moment in my life, that was in around August of 2011, I might have weighed 100 pounds. Um, mm -hmm. I was not healthy. And my doctor said, Hey, for the sake of the baby, just, I just need you to eat. You can eat donuts all day long. I don't care. I just need you to eat. And yeah. two things happened that day. You know, this mama bear instinct that many of us, you know, have, even if you don't have children, we, as women, we will protect those that we love, right? We will protect kids that we love. The fun aunt will protect those nieces and nephew. Well, that baby, I was willing to do for the baby what I wouldn't do for myself. Mm -hmm. But also 
come on. If a doctor says eat donuts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, <laughs> you eat the donuts, right? Oh. I mean, you, you got to eat the donuts. So I did. I ate a lot of donuts. I mixed in some salad in there to have some good greens as well. And I gained like, I gained about six pounds in eight weeks, which was a, a huge thing for me. But in the midst of that, I had a miscarriage. I lost the baby. Mm-hmm. And that, that was yeah. for me. And the enemy just came in, you know, guns a blazing, like, look what you did. Look what mm-hmm. you did to that little, you're a burden to everyone you're around. You're not needed here. And I did feel like a burden and I felt like everyone would be better off without me. But it was like in the moment where I hit that bottom, where I was in the darkest part of the pit, it was like God reached down with his hands and he said, look up, look up. And when I looked up, the lies of the enemy that I was going to be alone, that I wasn't going to have help, that people were going to reject me and make fun of me were all proven to be lies because God met me there with truth. I wasn't alone. Uh, My family loved me. My friends supported me. Uh, A counselor, I found a counselor, I found a doctor, and I began to found healing and restoration. And God didn't leave me. He didn't stop loving me. He reminded me, hey, I love you, not because of what you do or don't do, but because of who I am. I am love. And he reminded me of that love. And he reminded me, hey, you're still here. You have a purpose So let's go forward. And I got healing and restoration. And even a year later, I got pregnant again and had a baby. And so God restored life in that way as well. So he began to do a a work through me, through anxiety and depression, through my adult life to see that it, hey, it is very, very real. And as I began to take the mask off and stop hiding, and when people would say, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Um, And I said, "I'm, I'm not doing good, or I'm struggling with some anxiety or depression, Honestly, the number of women who would respond to me and look at me with tears in their eyes and say, you too? Yeah. You are? Yeah. So it was like this moment where God began to to help me to realize we need to talk about this. We need to normalize this conversation because it is going on. Hundreds of millions are struggling and they need to know they're not alone and that there is hope. And as I began to have this healing and restoration that God brought about my life, he began to open my eyes to help me to see that this all kind of began for me as a kid, that this anxiety, Mm -hmm. these things that I was dealing with, all this stuff stemmed for me in my life early on in my childhood. Wow. Well, I can't imagine how hard that was for you and walking through that, but I am so thankful that he uses those times for good because you're here now and you're spreading the truth. And there's so many golden nuggets that you shared that we'll put on our socials, but, um, just how that he's always there, like reiterating that and that he's a God of restoration, like what the enemy used with your miscarriage and your loss, he then like full circled it with blessing you with another child. And I feel like it's, crazy because the enemy doesn't have new tactics, right? He doesn't, he's not that clever. He's not that cunning where it's always the same junk. So like, if you're listening to Karis, you could, and you've experienced this, you could just put in your own lies because chances are he's lying to you as well. Like it's the number one enemy, right? Or the number one weapon. I want to hear more about what that looked like for childhood for you. Like how did, what did, what was that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, now I was raised in a, in a Christian home. I was grew up in a Christian home. So for me, when I was born, I have a twin brother as well. I am one minute older than him, which by the way, I don't hold that over his head anymore. (laughs) When we were younger, I did a lot. I was the older one, but when we, I know when, so when we were born, I was actually born with a mild form of cerebral palsy in the left side of my body. He did not have it physical disabilities or anything like that. But I didn't know that I was any different from him growing. My parents just, they did not treat me any differently. My dad was adamant that I know my disability did not get to define my ability and how I lived my life. So he would help me just kind of work through some things. I had to have surgery early on to turn my foot around, correct my foot so that I could walk. But I didn't know that there was any kind of physical difference in my body until I got to school. Um, and I'll never forget a first grade friend. He was a buddy 
uh, of, of ours. He went to church with us. He played on my brother's baseball team, lived in our neighborhood. He gathered our whole classroom around us one day and he said, hey, Karis, why do you hold your arm up like that? Why do you look like that? And he said, you look like a bunny rabbit. So he held up both of his arms the way that I held my left arm up and started hopping around a circle uh, around me like a bunny rabbit. And of course, everyone laughed, pointed and made fun of me. And in that moment, I was crushed because I realized I am different. I'm not like all the other six-year-olds around me. And so I went home that day, like do when we go through a hard time or a struggle, I was a shamed. I was afraid. So I pushed it down and I didn't deal with it. I didn't tell my mom and dad. I didn't tell teachers to let them help me. So I just pushed it down. So I taught myself early on that when I go through hard things, difficult things, just ignore it, just push it down, just push it down uh, and just keep going forward. So I also taught myself to only put myself in situations that I knew I could be successful at, that I knew I could do well at, almost this perfectionist mentality, which a lot of people, when they struggle with anxiety, they'll only do things that they know they can succeed at or they're going to be one of the best at because we might be afraid of failure. Or we might be afraid of that rejection. So that's kind of how I began to view my life through that lens. And then on into fifth grade, another uh, kid picked on me, bullied me. Not for the way that I looked, but just for whatever thing he could find. The way I talked, the way that I would raise my hand and answer all the questions in class. And it got to me so badly because I was holding on to it and pushing it down so much. I woke up one day with a terrible migraine headache. Now, when you're in fifth grade and you're 10 years old, you really don't know what a migraine is. But it was such a bad headache that my vision messed up, like my peripheral vision. I could see straight ahead, but I could not see out of the corners of my eyes. So I thought I was going blind. I thought something really bad was happening. So I told my parents about that and they took me to the doctor and he asked me, he said, Hey, you know, about my symptoms. And then he said, Hey, Karis, is somebody picking on you? Are they making fun of you? And out of nowhere, I just started to cry because I couldn't hold on to anything more. And I began to tell what was really going on. And um, my vision started to come back as I was releasing and letting go of all of that. And my headache started to slowly go away. And the doctor said to me, hey, what you're dealing with, these symptoms that you've described, you know, because I, I couldn't sleep at night, my uh, palms would get really sweaty. Again, my heart would just race and I would play those thoughts through my head. He said, you know, these type of things are, are something that we call anxiety. So I was so glad to know that it was a real thing, that it had a name. Back then, we didn't talk about, and this is how you deal with it. This is how you respond to anxiety. So because he didn't tell me, you know, because we didn't know what to do, I continued to do those negative coping skills, ignoring the problems, avoiding the problems, pushing things down all through middle school and high school only doing those things, you know, that I, that I could do well and putting pressure on myself to be successful because I didn't want to let my parents down. I didn't want to let, I didn't want to let God down. So I thought I had to be perfect at everything. And as human beings, we are not, we're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. And so I, you know, I would only, again, do those things that I thought I could do well. I was top five in my class. I was very successful, you know, academically, but it all stemmed from this anxious spirit, you know, this, this perfectionist, this wanting to be successful, wanting to please, be a people pleaser, which, man, I probably am still struggling with some of that, trying to please, you know, others, wanting to fail. I'll never forget when I took my driver's license test, I waited two months because of, I was terrified of failing. I was terrified of doing something wrong. And so our birthday is New Year's Eve. We have a December birthday, but I didn't go till February. I couldn't <laughs> do it. I got until February. My twin brother made so much fun of me because he went, got his license, no big deal. And I no. went and seriously, the lady told me, she said, okay, we're going to go down here to the course. We're going to turn left at the stop sign. And I still remember to this day, I heard her say left, but my heart was racing and that fight or flight kicked in and my brain said, run. So I turned right onto a busy highway, 
She is screaming. I am crying. I think we both thought that that was like it. That was going to be our day that we were going to just, you know, something terrible is going to happen. I was able to get back to the, where the location was, where the test was going to be. And I failed. Like I failed the test, which I don't blame her, by the way. I needed, that was terrible. It was so bad. Um, And I just cried and she felt so bad for me that she let me take the test again. But she said, you can take the test again, but with someone else, which, okay, fair enough. Totally fair. And I passed the second time, but I convinced my mom to not tell anyone that I failed the first time. (laughs) Nobody nobody knew. My brothers didn't know. Like my dad didn't know for years. No one knew because again, of this, this, I didn't want to fail. I thought that that supposed to fail. So I put these unrealistic expectations on myself that maybe some of your listeners that are listening, they might see their kids doing the same thing. It wasn't that my parents put those expectations on me. It was again, these lies that the enemy comes in early on and he, 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 perverts truth. He twists truth where there's nothing wrong with working hard on academics and, you know, wanting to do your best, but trying to be perfect at everything you do. No one can live underneath that much pressure. So that's kind of how that anxiety would develop for me. And I think a little bit of the depression too, because I felt different. I felt sometimes alone, Um, And I would pull myself away. I would isolate myself, not realizing that that that's what I was doing. I was really isolating away because I, uh, out of fear, will they like me? Do they want to be my friend? Which I was a friend to everyone because I wanted everyone to like me. I I wanted to be liked. So I think that's kind of, those are some of the things that stemmed from, from early as a child on into middle school and high school. And then those habits, they finally caught up with me as an adult. Um, and it almost took my life. Yeah. It's okay. Fun fact. I also failed (laughs) my first time. I did. It was because I still, I still, it wasn't my fault. Uh, it wasn't my fault. That's okay. Um, we won't get into it, but I did. And I took it on my birthday because I was so sure. That is hilarious. (laughs) Uh, so we can spend time talking about that, but we won't. Okay. But there were so many things that you mentioned in your childhood that I'm like, oh shoot. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I definitely, I am a people pleaser. Um, or a recovering, I guess, people pleaser. But so many times, like, even my mom will now be like, oh, do you remember, like, when we walked through this really hard season, whatever it was? And I'll be like, I literally don't remember. Like, my brain has a defense mechanism instilled probably from childhood that I don't remember a lot of the bad stuff or a lot of at all, really. But, and so I've always felt like, oh man, it's just my brain protecting me, but it's probably related to that. I did not. So my, this is another fun fact. My family, um, all of the women in one side of my family, literally almost all of them have dealt with mental health issues, mental health crisis. They have my great, great, I don't know how many greats literally died in a mental hospital. And there's like, when we were doing, my cousin did some family tree stuff. She found out like this horrible story from her. So like all the way stemmed from that, the women in my family have always been, had dealt with that. Right. And so I growing up knowing this and walking with it with close family members who would be in and out of sight. And of course, again, it was when we were younger and it wasn't a thing. Right. And so I was always so adamant that, nope, this buck stops here. I will not allow the enemy to use that. I will not have anything wrong with me, right? And yes, there's like a part of that that's good, right? Like generational curses get broken by stopping them. However, I took it to the polar opposite and was like, no, like I just won't allow it. And so if there is anything going on with me, I'm just going to shove it down. I'm going to just pretend like that's not it. You know, all the things. And so it wasn't until I had two kids, my first two kids are back to back. They're 18 months apart. Shocker. You can get pregnant very early. And then then there was like a, um, 
like a, it's a two and a half or three year gap. And then we were kind of like, oh shoot, we want more. Like we should probably get going again. It's a whole thing. But, um, and then, so we did. And after I had my third, like my first and second were easy, even though they were so close together, they were fine. My third, something happened with that and it was not easy and she was perfect, but my maternity leave came up. I had to actually see somebody like a therapist to extend my maternity leave because I didn't realize then, but all the overwhelm and I was so hard on myself. So, so hard on myself. Like, Sam, you already have two kids. This isn't a big deal. Like just putting myself down, but I was actually diagnosed with postpartum anxiety. And it was because of the overwhelm, the chest pressure. And I remember even telling my therapist, like, no, that's dumb because one, I don't have that. Like I've already said it. And then two, I don't have anxiety. Like I thought anxiety looked different and she would be like, oh, well, this is going on in your life or this or this. And I was like, I've always done, I've always had a very full plate, like a very full plate, right? I've always thrived and busy. Even like when she diagnosed it, one, I had no idea what I knew postpartum depression, but I didn't know there was a postpartum anxiety. And even then I didn't accept it. Like I took her notice for more time off work, of course. And then was like, I'm never going to tell anyone. Like, I'm never going to deal with it until later. I was like, the more I learned about anxiety and depression, I ended up working. I worked in the hospital system for over 10, 12 years. And I ended up working in the psych ward in inpatient. And even then it was always for someone else. It was because I want to learn more. I want to stop the generational curse. I want to help people, which I did not realizing, oh, Sam, you also have struggled with this and you also, you know, saying all that, I want to talk about the masking because I feel like a mask wasn't even an option. It was like a full on brick wall, <laughs> like, but why did you, what did the mask, what did that look like? Why did you feel like you had to put on a mask? Mm. That is a great question. And I think maybe everybody listening is probably like, why do we do this? Why do we put on a mask? I thought I thought I had to wear a mask because that was the only going to be the only way that I would be accepted or mm-hmm. that I would have friends um, or that I could be a part of something. I would I put myself down as well and thought that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't um smart enough or, you know, that didn't belong. So that if I, if I masked who I really was, then I could be a part of the group. Then I wouldn't be rejected. Then I wouldn't be out. So I think for me, part of it was because of that physical disability, knowing Mm -hmm. that I was physically different. um, I thought I had to put that mask on to be physically different so that people would allow me to be a part of their group, which now I know looking back, I don't have to wear a mask. You know, I can be who God created me to be, but I think still some, some days, I mean, this is just being totally honest, transparent mask off. Um, I think sometimes I still wear a mask because of stupid comparison, comparing myself to other mamas to other women looking at social media or looking at, you know, as a speaker and an author, looking at other people's platforms and wondering what's wrong with me. Why am I not enough? But putting on a mask, pretending like everything is okay. And I don't have struggles and I don't have trouble, but you know, in reality, Jesus warned in this world, you will have trouble. Mm -hmm. Like that's it's, it's a part of it, but the good news for us as believers, we can take heart because he's on our side and he's overcome. So I think that mask was, is from comparison and just wanting to be a part of a group. I don't know that that ever leaves, you know, early on as kids, we want that. I don't, what do you think? I don't know that that ever, that battle, that struggle, if that ever yeah. leaves, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think it does. I because one is we were made for community, right? Like we were made to be in fellowship and to be with people. But because sin entered the world, people suck. Like I don't know if I can say that, but sometimes people suck. And so (laughs) and it starts so early, right? Like we're all born sinners. Like that is the gospel message. But we see that 
take place and like manifest itself when I hate that word, but you know what I mean? Like it takes hold even in children, right? Like when you have a one-year-old lying and she's never been taught to lie, that's because she was born that way. Like, and so I think that as much as we protect our kids and we want to shelter them almost in a way or like greenhouse them, whatever, but they're still like, that's why you see hot mess little brats on the playground in first grade being jerks. Like <laughs> just there's something inside of them. And yes, Hollywood attributes to that. And yes, society does as well. But also it, it just, it, there's something in us that like claws to be the best, but also have friends. I don't know. But then, and then you grow up and even as women, we do that so much, which thank God we're, I feel like the trend is to be open and to be honest. And I feel like, yes. um, I read this little meme because right as we're recording the Asbury college revival is sort of happening. And I read a meme from that, I'm not a meme, an article that talked about the Gen Z, which I'm so glad we're done focusing off millennials. Like, can we move on to Gen Z? Thank you. <laughs> but Gen Z, they're just, there's a group of them that are so done with the facade in church and in the world with the fake, with the Hollywood. They want like real, they want a real encounter with Christ, right? But they want real encounter with people. Thank God we're moving to that trend where I actually, I appreciate you and like every guest who comes on the show because y'all just bare bones it. You come on and tell us your whole story because you know that your story can make a difference and we point people to Christ. But like, it's so hard to do that and to take off the mask and the stereotypes and the idea that like, I sometimes deal with this a little bit, like people are going to listen to this podcast and whatever I say, and they can take it however they want to. But really like, that's not my job. My job isn't to care what people think, right? Like the Lord will do his work through this. Yes. And so I think Praise God, we're trending toward Gen Z and hopefully younger kids. Like, I'm done with all the crap and like the the showy, the fakes, the Hollywood, the I don't know, just yeah. all the mass. And we can be like, hey, yo, I was diagnosed with this, or I suffer from this, or even like Brie, I've walked through this, which is where I want to go now, too. Like, where that was a part of your story, but praise God, it wasn't the entire story because now you're living a story and walking that looks completely different. So tell me like now, what did God do to transform this story? Yeah. So God just began to kind of reshape the way that I would think about things, kind of building new pathways in my brain. And you said something very, I loved earlier that your brain was protecting you, you know, by not remembering some things. And that actually, when you, I've looked at the brain a lot and just studied it, that's the brain's number one job to protect us and to keep us alive. And so it cannot, for example, tell the difference between a real danger and the thought of a danger. It'll treat it exactly the same way because it wants to protect us. So sometimes brains can misread situations um, and it can overreact or be like an overprotective parent. Um, And so that's where we have to begin to take control back and help our brains read situations correctly. So God just really began to do a work in my life and help me to see, hey, there are healthy biblical strategies and action steps that we can take when anxiety or when depression may try to come in so that it does not take over our life where we feel in, you know, for anyone who has struggled with anxiety, you know, sometimes you feel paralyzed. You feel like you can't move. You feel like you can't really make a decision. You want to take a step forward. You want to do something, but you don't know what to do. Um, Or, you know, I also sometimes with that anxiety, it's like that high functioning where we just fill our plates with so much busyness. Then we don't have to deal with our thoughts. We don't have to deal with anything. We can just go, 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 go. And so, I've noticed, and I had to kind of take a step back as a parent, I was teaching my kids to do that. Let's fill mm-hmm. our plates. Let's put so many things on our schedule. And my kids would just have these 
meltdowns, these overwhelming, you know, emotional meltdowns. And, and I began to realize, hey, there's no margin. There's no like break, no rest. Like they need yeah. that in their life. And I did as well. So, so God just began to help me to learn help me to process and help me to see, hey, he was way ahead on these strategies on how to help take care of ourselves mentally. And they're actually grounded in biblical truth. And that's what I needed. I, I'll tell you, on the mental health front, counselors, doctors, God has given them a gift. And I needed both to, to help mm-hmm. me, to, to help save my life, to pull me out. And so for many you need that. So know that that's okay. If you have a broken arm, guess what? You're going to go to the doctor and fix it. You're not just going to cover it up and say, it'll be better later. Like you're going to go get that fixed, get that adjusted. So that's why doctors and counselors are so amazing. But on the faith part, when you realize that practical strategies are grounded in biblical truth, living in action, that God has given us, that we can cling to, that we can can take these strategies, and we'll talk about those here in just a minute. That, to me, was so big and life-changing uh, to realize that that God cares about our mental health. Like, He cares about it. He cares about our thoughts. There's so many scriptures on thoughts, you know, on the way that we live, on the way that we act. So knowing that, that He cares about that, it's no longer this um, taboo subject, yeah. Like it, it is a subject that God cares about. He is talking about it in his word and he wants us, you know, to take our thoughts captive, to take care of ourselves mentally. And so just through that, he began to open up doors for me to write books, which I never, ever thought I would be writing books. Maybe you never thought you'd be doing a podcast. You know, mm-hmm. God just has us doing things that we never would have planned or anticipated. So I've been able to have that opportunity to write some devotionals on anxiety, to go and to speak and to share. Yes, like you said, here is my story, but now let's take action. Let's mm-hmm. let's make some let's do some things differently. And to understand, if you think about it, how many years have you been using coping skills that were not healthy? For me, it was almost 30 years that I was mm-hmm. using unhealthy coping skills. So you have to understand that there's going to be a process. There's going to be a lot of grace that you're going to have to give yourself. And this is a day by day, every day kind of thing. People always ask me, they're like, Hey, I bet you don't struggle with anxiety or depression anymore. Do you? And I would love to say, yes, you're yes. I I never struggle to that question, but I can't because I still have those moments where I'm anxious or depression may try to come in. But now I have some skills. Now I have some strategies that I can put into place. Yeah. And I think you mentioned, I can't remember if you mentioned before or during this podcast, but that our complete healing, whatever it is, is not until the other side. Like we get completely healed in heaven. So like for me, knowing that that oh, Hannah is six. So that was five years ago that I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety. And so like, knowing that that could creep up and happen at any time, not that I'm completely healed. I'm done. Like that's not necessarily a thing for all of us. Right. And so if you're listening, there's two things I want you to know Two, I want you to know that your story, wherever it is, is not over, that you have a plan and a purpose that the lies that the enemy is creeping and whispering in your ear are nothing but lies. And the Pentecostal and me will teach you how to rebuke those lies in Jesus name. Um, but that also that it is just like so much of our life, it is a journey. And so it's not a one and done. Like Karis just said, it's not a healed and then never again deal with it because Also understanding the strategies of the enemy, not that he gets credit for this, but that his tactics aren't new. So if it, if I've dealt with it five years ago, there's a chance that I'm going to deal it, deal with it again. And a part of my life, maybe where I feel weak or I'm struggling in other areas, those thoughts will pop up or that overwhelm will pop up. But the difference is having equipping tools. Like we're going to talk and we're going to put in our tool belt. And always having these ready is what changes your walk from what it used to be to what it's going to be. Like you used to suffer from, you used to deal with, now you understand that you are a daughter of the king, which means you're basically like a warrior princess who can combat anything that comes at her. (laughs) So, but then also Kara said something. So you mentioned in your story that, that you were this way and that you had women speak to this. And I 
I want to just blame it on the older generation, but it's probably not true. It's probably all of us. However, that if you are struggling with something like this, then absolutely seek help. Like hopefully find a Christian counselor, but sometimes that's not always available. So find someone, even if it's like medication is a taboo, you know what taboo means? It means that it's a breeding ground for shame and condemnation. And I'm pretty sure I've read the Bible multiple times and it does not talk about you are to be a child of condemnation and a child of shame. Like that is not of you and for you. And so medicine is like a taboo thing. If you need medicine, take medicine. But my caveat is know that you can also be healed because so many times we see the counselor, we see the doctor and we see this and we think this is our healing when really the Lord still has more for you. So like, yes, get help. Do what is needed to do to get you right. And then also put these in your tool belt and use these to get rid of it. So you don't have to take it or you don't have to whatever. Okay. So full permission. There is no shame in our games here. Let's dig into our tool belts. How equip me girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there are, so there are so many skills we could probably spend all day. We won't spend all day talking about these, but I'll just share just a few practical things that maybe you could do and how they're grounded in God's word so that, so that you can lean on truth. Like you're saying, this is where freedom comes when we are claiming that truth, knowing, okay, this is God's living and active word. You know, it hasn't been edited. Like he didn't make a mistake in what he said, what he said thousands of years ago is still true for us today. So a few practical things that you can do. So, you know, we talked about sometimes with anxiety, you can't breathe. You feel like you've lost your breath. You know, your heart is racing. So one thing that you can do that, that a lot of people go to very quickly is just pausing and taking good deep breaths. And the reason you do that, when you pause and you take those good deep breaths, inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth, it takes as part of your brain, the amygdala, which houses all of these emotions and your fight or flight responses, this anxiety response. So that deals with the emotional part of our brain. And let's be honest, we don't always make the best decisions when we are acting out of our emotions. Hence, turning right at a stop sign during a driver's license test when I was supposed to turn left (laughs) to a busy highway. So we we can't make good rational decisions. So when we pause and take those deep breaths, it allows our brain to go to the thinking part where you do make rational, clear thoughts and you can make good decisions. And it does allow your heart to stop racing. It helps your brain to know that you're okay. But here's a scripture. This is Job 33.4. And it said, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the almighty gives me life. So when you pause and you take those deep breaths, knowing that the breath of the almighty breathed us into life, breathed us into being, and that his breath is in our lungs. When you pause and when we realize that, that that's how close our heavenly father wants to be with us, it calms just your whole body and it helps you to remember that God has us. He is protecting us and we can trust him. So that's one thing that I like about taking those deep breaths and grounding it into this truth is to know that his breath, like the song says, it is in our lungs. And then we can turn around and instead of focusing on maybe the problem, we, we, we turn to the problem solver and we can turn our praises to him. We can turn our words to him and it calms our spirit. So pausing, taking those deep breaths. And even for your kids, listen, when tests come up, our kids get very nervous about tests. My kids get nervous about tests. Their hearts can can race. Um, their thoughts, you know, they've prepared, but they get in front of the test and what happens? Mine goes blank. They yeah. cannot even remember what their name is or what two plus two is. So this is something that they can use when they take those deep breaths. It allows that thinking part of their brain to take back over and to take control. And again, it helps them to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this test. Thank you that I have the mind of Christ and it helps them to move forward. So there, there is one. Okay. So we're going to pause and take deep breaths. The second thing that you can put in your, uh, in your tool belt is to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, when I go into schools and I talk to kids about this, it is so funny. A lot of them are like, I don't even know what gratitude is. I'm like, Okay, it is another word for being thankful. And again, God was way ahead of us on this, but science has come back and done so many studies on gratitude. And what they have discovered is that our brains 
they cannot be anxious and thankful at the same time. So when we are Isn't that so cool? When you are actively looking for what is good in my life. Now, I'm not saying we avoid and we ignore the bad, but it doesn't get our focus. When we look for what do I have to be thankful for in my life? What are the good things in my life? And I'm talking get specific, get tiny. Maybe you're thankful for a favorite pair of shoes. You're thankful for your coffee in the morning your family, your friends, your home, and you just begin to start thinking about all these things that you have to be grateful for, your your brain can't go to the anxious thoughts. And it's amazing how good kids and teenagers are with this. They are, when I, again, when I go and I talk to them and I'll ask them to talk about what they're thankful for, they're so funny because they'll say, I'm thankful for my Xbox, or I'm thankful that I don't have to share a bathroom with my sister. Um, one kid said, He was thankful for all of his rabbits. And he said, plural, rabbits. And I was like, that is awesome that you have rabbits. Um, One little boy said that he was thankful for oxygen. Mm. And I was like, wow, that is so good. And I will never forget a boy in the eighth grade. You could tell he was an athlete. He was a popular kid. You know, sometimes middle school kids, they like to try to be funny and get attention. And he raised his hand and he said, I'm thankful for my foster family that I have right now because they're nice to me. Yeah. And no one's word. He just got everyone's attention because you could see that true gratitude in his heart. And if we go to first Thessalonians five, verse 16 says, rejoice always pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that's how gratitude can help us. When we are focusing and giving thanks in all circumstances, it blocks those anxious thoughts. Um, Another one, community. You need community in your tool belt. We've already talked about this so much. We're not supposed to do life alone. We're not supposed to isolate. We're not supposed to hide our problems. Like we're all going to have problems. We're all going to have different things that we're struggling with. But Galatians 6.2 tells us that we are to carry each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that is the correct way for us as believers to live. Carry one another's burdens. So have those friends in your life. And of course, not everybody needs to know everything about your life, but mm-hmm. those two three that you can talk to and say, hey, I'm struggling today, or this is a difficult day. We want to have those friends in our life, and we want to be that friend as well for others who needs to reach out and, and share their burdens with us. I love the story of, of Moses when he was holding up his arms, you know, when Joshua was fighting the battle with the Amalekites, and Aaron and her noticed, you know, when Moses' arms would go down, Joshua was losing the battle. So Aaron and her came up, and they were arm bearers for Moses. They went and they slid rocks up under him and they they bared his arms up to help him hold his arms. We need arm bearers because when the battles get hard, when things get difficult, we need those people who are going to come in and say, hey, I'll hold your arms up. Yeah. I'll be uh, a someone that you can lean on. So we want to have that community. Um, and a couple of other things that we need is that our what if thoughts, you know, that go into catastrophe mode. What if they don't like me? What if I fail the test? Uh, what if for kids, what if my parents forget me at school? Um, what if I give a speech and everyone laughs and makes fun of me? We just have all these what ifs, you know, what if something terrible happens to my family? Um, what if I'm not a good mom? What if I fail at being a mom? What if I fail at this job? So all these what ifs kind of play out in our brains. And by the time we've kind of gotten to the end of the movie credits, if you will, of these movies, we're frozen and we can't do anything. And even though that those scenarios have not happened, they feel like they have. So those what ifs are stealing from us, from our life. So Philippians 4, 8 tells us to think on what is, what is true what is holy, what is pure, excellent, praiseworthy. That is what we want to keep our thoughts on, the truth, on what is going on around me right now, that present moment. You know, we want to be where our feet are. So that helps us in our thinking and moving it into what is. And and that goes back to taking those thoughts captive and replacing them with truth. And one thing that helps me with those what-if thoughts is journaling, just writing them down getting it all out, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and then either 
tearing that page out and throwing it away or crossing out those what ifs, those lies and writing down truth. What is true? What is God's word say for me in this situation? And the more that I write down, the more that I keep scripture in front of me, it helps to combat those what ifs. Now, something that we can do within our our body, our senses that God gave us, we can ground ourselves by using our senses um, and think of what is something that I can hear, see, taste, touch, smell. By the time you go through all five of your senses, it snaps you out of those what ifs out of your, your brain and it puts you back in your reality where your feet are. So God has given us those built in senses that we need to do that. And the last thing I would say is that Jesus gave us an example of what to do when we feel overwhelmed. Right as he was going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he told the disciples that were with him, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. So what did he go do? He went and he prayed. He prayed to his Abba Father. And not only did he pray, you know, these eloquent words, he prayed with vulnerability and transparency. And he said, you know, Abba, if this cup can pass from me, but not my will, your your will be done. So we can be honest with God in our prayers. We can tell him where we truly are in our prayers um, and and, be, and just lay it all out there. And this is in Mark 14. If you go back and read, it says he prayed the same thing. Keep praying, keep telling God he wants to hear from us. And I love at the end of this chapter, it shows that God did not point a shaming finger at Jesus. He didn't tell him to suck it up and go die on that cross. He strengthened him. He gave him exactly what he needed to go finish the journey that God had for him to go, to go die on that cross, to go and raise up from that grave the third day. Where would we be? Where would we be if Jesus did not finish, if Jesus just stopped? So I, I want to encourage your listeners to know that God hears you. Keep praying, keep listening. He will meet you there and he will love you and he will give you the strength to get up and keep going, keep walking in the purpose and the path that he has for your life because you're still here. So he's not done. And he will use every bit of this that is hard, that's a struggle, that is difficult, and you think there's no way out. There is a way out. But sometimes the way out, like it has been for many of us, is is the way through. you got to go through to get to the other side, to get to where God wants you. And again, that's just a few practical skills for that tool belt, the deep breathing, grounding yourself with your senses, gratitude, journaling, prayer, having that community. But if you can pick a couple of those and begin to practice them over time, I believe with all of my heart, you are going to see a difference. I still lean on all of these. I'm pulling from each of them. Um, But every time I do, it gives me, it renews that hope for me to know, okay, this is something that God gave me. It's not something I have to be ashamed of. It's not something that I have to hide. These are skills that he gave me to live this life, to walk through day by day. And as Paul, you know, he had that thorn in his flesh. He had those struggles. But God, just as he said, he is the God of all comforts and he comforts us so that we can go comfort others. We can be God's hands and feet because listeners, as you're out there, he's given you this story and he is going to open up doors for you to share his hope, his love with so many out there who need it. They desperately need to know God's love and hope for them and what Jesus did on that cross. And he's going to use you. He's going to use your testimony and the actions that you've learned to go reach them, to be the voice. He'll do the reaching. The Holy Spirit will do the calling. He just needs you to be the vessel. Yeah. So good. And it's funny because I'm listening to your tips. And really, these are tips that every Christian should have in their tool belt as well. Like, yes, if you struggle, but also... It's biblical to do all of this. It's biblical to take your thoughts captive with 
whether or not you are currently struggling. So like, if you're listening and you're like, oh man, I haven't experienced this yet maybe, or I don't struggle with anxiety or depression or whatever, then girlfriend, sweet girl, this is still for you. These are probably ways that could combat it. So you don't, but yes, these are so good. Thank you. And I love that you gave six because if there's somebody who maybe doesn't want to journal, then voice it out loud. Or like you can pick and choose, but you have all of them accessible to you. And then there was another thing you said about like, God will use your story. And one of the um, things with Abundant Woman, when he first gave me this sort of calling platform, whatever, I was like, you know, there's so many people that already are on stages and writing books and speaking and teaching and doing this. Like, we don't need another voice. But he so clearly told me that I'm not calling, and I, I love Christine, so I'm not using this like in a bad way, but I'm right. not calling necessarily the Christine Canes of the world who are incredible and speak globally. But more so, this could be you seeing a friend struggling and taking her to coffee and you guys are sharing your truth story there. Or you, yes, speak at a school or you tell your church, your pastor, you're like people to people. We so much think grander scale, like our story, our influence doesn't matter unless it's 10,000 followers on social media, on a stage, written a book, whatever. And those are fantastic things. And the Lord has reach in those areas as well. But we're also talking about like your next door neighbor who you haven't seen come out of the house in three days, maybe go check on girlfriend or your best friend is struggling because she's overwhelmed with 10 kids. Go check on her too. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you're, you have an upcoming final college days Mm. that I don't miss. Go, you know, use these tools and equip people in your circle. It's not always for the big stage. It's for whoever you have influence with your children, your neighbor, yeah. your dorm yeah. roommate person. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that encourages wow. you too, where so many times I feel like maybe if the Lord's speaking to us, we're like writing it off. Like he's talking, I'm listening to this podcast episode. And then I'm like, Oh, that's not for me because I don't have a platform. That's not for me because yeah. I don't have social media followers. It's for you <laughs> and your next door neighbor, yeah. George, like whoever it is, yeah. I just made up a whole bunch of names and scenes, but you know what I mean? Yeah, you're, but you're so right. I mean, we just got to be obedient, mm-hmm. you know, we just gotta be. and those little prompts that the Holy Spirit gives you, you know, to text a friend or like you're saying, you know, go have coffee with somebody. Even if it's someone you haven't talked to in years, we have no idea what they're dealing with, what they're struggling with. And so that one text that the Holy Spirit laid on your heart to do, um, we don't control the outcome of that. We just want to be obedient do do as they do, do as he ask. Um, so I think that is so so good, such good reminders for us to remember. It's not about the big platforms; it's about these small, the small moments that we have every single day in our in our in what we think is the mundane. But but God is even in that. Yeah, and really, like you said, it is being the hands and feet. It is in those small moments. You know, the grocery store clerk or. Hey, I feel I'm thinking of someone, then send them a message and take a minute to pray. Like it takes 30 seconds, but I would hate to meet God one day and then not like not have taken advantage of all of the opportunities he gave me to share his love. Right. And so there was um, a Jenny Allen phrase that I learned a really long time ago, but the if gathering is like based off of it, but if God is real, then what? So if we believe that God Mm. is real, then sister friend, we are taking every opportunity to share the love of Christ. And that does mean even in the struggles, it means even with sharing our story of our struggles, it means the text, the prompts, the Holy Spirit telling you to hold up the target line and pray for someone like I now I'll do that. And I don't care if dude behind me is mad or not. Like there's more lines, you know what I mean? Just taking, not being unashamed and unafraid to do whatever the Lord's calling you to do because it could literally mean life or death. Like Karis has said several times that it has literally saved her life. And so you don't know what someone else is going through. You don't know what is behind that super charismatic, funny person and what they're dealing with. And so, yeah, whoever that's for, take a moment. If someone, Mm -hmm. even right now, if you're listening to this and the Lord's like, 
you need to call so-and-so. There are so many famous examples of people who we all thought were totally fine and then ending up not to be fine. And so, yeah, I don't know. Whoever that's for, take check on your friends, basically. <laughs> but I don't want to end with that. I do want y'all to make sure to listen to this again and then write down these steps. I'm a note taker. It's how my brain works. But write them down and keep them somewhere. Like put them on a piece of paper. I have these really large post-its that take up like my whole Bible page for like my good notes or yeah. Anyways, we'll talk about that differently, but I use them in my Bible study. And so take one of those or toilet paper roll. I don't care and write it down (laughs) and keep these in your word, put it on your mirror, put it on the fridge, like wherever you're going to see so that you can get in the habit of actually using these tools. These tools are meaningless if you don't actually utilize them and remember them and put them in places to use them, you know? So good. Karis, before we head out and before we do our rapid fire, tell me, you mentioned, and we talked a little bit before too, but you've written several books and you're like a speaker and doing all the big things and you're amazing. How can I, as a listener, connect with you, say hi to you and buy all the things? Absolutely. So my website would probably be the easiest place to go. So it's just my name, Kira Snyder, C-A-R-I-S-S-N-I-D-E-R.com. And you can see all the books that I have there um, that are out right now for adults, for tweens, books that are coming, picture books, uh, Carline Mamas, even our teenagers, all that's coming. But then social media, I tend to hang out on Instagram the most. And then Facebook uh, and and YouTube, those are the ones where I'm at, at Karis Snyder. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of social media. I know the good, there's good there. So find me there. That's one of the good things is that I get to meet you guys and talk with you. Share your stories. Feel free to, um, you're not bothering me. That's what people always ask, but I don't want to bother you. You're not bothering me. It encourages me when you share, when you share your faith, when you share your story, when you share um, this practical step was helpful for me. So please share, please reach out, please let's get to know one another. Um, You know, and if you do have questions about speaking, you can reach out to me again through my website or I answer it. Uh, Instagram messenger quite a bit. Um, so I would love to just partner, you know, just however the Lord, the Lord leads. Yeah. Instagram's my favorite too. And I do love when people actually talk because there's nothing worse than like putting out all this content. And yes, you can see the t- statistics, but I don't really care about those as much as like, oh, I even like I've gotten questions or prayer requests. Like y'all, we don't yes. put up prayer request bubbles to be silent. Like we actually want to pray with you or we actually want to talk to you. Like Literally the whole point is to make contact. Which sometimes, I don't know if you've ever put up a bubble and answered your own bubble, just so it makes you feel like someone is answering the bubble. I've done that. I can. I did that not that long ago because I put out this questionnaire and I got all these good answers. And then I put up a bubble and I got like two. So I was like, well, let me just take some of these questionnaire answers and stick them in the bubble. And then I did get more responses because people were like, oh, that's what you mean. Like. Yes. When really I'm like, just talk to us, please. We love you. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And I will, of course, have all the links in the show notes for Karis. And then you'll see all of her show stuff on social media as well when this is released. Okay. And yes. now we're going to do rapid fire. It's super easy. Just three questions. Fun. Number one, <laughs> what is your favorite worship song right now? Ah, uh, goodness of God. That is my absolute it is. Okay, which version? Who's your favorite person singing it? Jen Johnson. I, I'm, I sing that version, so I think that's why, yeah, that one. Yes. I also love Jen. Um, okay, what is your favorite book? Like, a book that you've read that's transformed, I don't know, fiction, nonfiction? Yeah, whatever. I'm looking over it. Yeah, my <laughs> book. One book that I absolutely adore. Can I do two? Can I do two books? Okay, The Traveler's Gift is a great book. I don't know if anybody's read that. Andy, um... Andrews. Andy Andrews is the author of that book. It is so good. Uh, it's it's a fictional book with non-fictional skills in it. So Traveler's Gift. And then Allie Worthington's Standing Strong. She came out with that, I think, in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Um, those two. Yeah. I like Allie. She'll be on yeah. here one day. Um, okay. So also, last one. Random, fun. You're welcome. Who would you like to play you in a movie? Okay, 
I don't know her name, but it's Wonder Woman. What is her name? <laughs> I don't know her name either. Uh, yes. So T is how you spell her name, but I, I like her. I love her. And she has long brown hair, so I, I would go see with that. her. I could see that. Yeah. I had to pull her up to remember what she looked like. Yep. Super fun. See, just random fun. Now, when we watch Wonder Woman, we're going to be thinking of Karis. And then, in turn, thinking of our six tools from the tool belt. <laughs> That's right. He has the, uh, what is it? The thing of truth? The uh, lasso oh, of truth? The thing. Mm-hmm. See? So, y'all can remember that. The lasso of truth. <laughs> All right, Karis. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story. I seriously appreciate it and appreciate all you're doing, especially when it comes to this topic. And it has been so fun to have you. Thank you for letting me come on. It's been a fun day. Friend, I hope you were blessed by this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before you go, quick things. One, can you follow us on social? I would love to get social with you. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube all have the username Abundant Woman Co. Come say hi. Also, we have a free Facebook community that has women just like you building community going after Jesus and just making connections. Come join us there. I can't wait to meet you. And last, I would love if you could screenshot this episode and share it on your socials for a chance to be featured. Until next time.